my thing is, I think that often when people look at me, you know, this huge sort of painted lady, um, they find it hard to imagine that I come from anywhere. I think people think that I just appeared fully formed, like the good witch Glinda from her bubble. But, of course, I am from somewhere. I am from a small town in County Mayo called Ballinrobe. Now, Ballinrobe is very much your typical Irish country market town. It has a couple of streets and a church and a town hall and huge excitement when Tesco came to town. And... <laughs> Even though it now does have a Tesco and a black family, it hasn't really changed much <laughs> since I was a little boy growing up there in the 1970s. Now, growing up in Ballinrobe, the much-loved son of the local vet and his well-respected wife, surrounded by five noisy brothers and sisters and countless animals, it was a very idyllic upbringing, you know, easy and fun and free. There wasn't a lot to rebel against, to be honest. But in 1979, I started to think for myself. And that was the year that the Pope came to Ireland. And when he did, there were no dissenting voices. Or at least if there were, I was too young to hear them. You know, this was going to be the greatest thing that had ever happened to Ireland. You know, the Pope himself, this huge holy celebrity, was coming to Ireland and nothing would ever be the same again. You know, everyone was on board. Even I was on board. After all, I was already putting my latent drag tendencies to work as Ballinrobe's preeminent altar lady boy. But... <laughs> Even my enthusiasm, you know, driven as it was really by the perceived glamour of the occasion, paled into insignificance beside my devout mother's papal devotion. And for days beforehand, our house, like every other house in Ballinrobe, was a hive of activity and nervous excitement. You know, my mother, a sandwich-making Tweedy blur. And at the crack of dawn on the big day, she piled the Volkswagen high with egg sandwiches, brown bread, flasks of tea, pope stools, and giddy children. And we drove to the next town, Clare Morris, where we parked in a field. And then we boarded shuttle buses to the site in Knock. And in the grey early morning light, it was a sight to behold. Hundreds of thousands of damp pilgrims, you know, muttering their bovine devotions, stretched out across fields, ironically vacated by their actual bovine residents for this glorious occasion. <laughs> We set up camp miles from the stage amongst nodding nuns, stressed mothers, you know, praying shopkeepers and farmers drinking cold tea from TK lemonade bottles <laughs> as an interminable rosary was broadcast over the tannoy system. Now, by the time the Pope arrived, it, well, it already felt like we'd been at a mass for days on end, but now an actual mass did start, and it was longer and more boring than any mass I had ever been to in my 12 years. But during the mass... I looked around me, and I had an epiphany of sorts. I didn't belong here. Now, I didn't feel any wonder or any joy. I felt afraid. There was nothing spiritual or divine about this event. This was a cult, a cult of personality and hype, you know, a colony of drones, a multicellular organism made up of unicellular minds, a willful refusal to see with their own eyes, a switching off of all critical faculties. And if I had had the 12-year-old courage, I would have stood up and screamed that the Pope had no clothes. <laughs> I didn't become an atheist that day. That would be a much longer process. But I did take the first step and became a Protestant. <laughs> when the mass ended, you know, the excitement was palpable because this was when the Pope would drive through the people and it was our chance to get up quite close to him and you know, take the shaky photograph that would be treasured for years to come. But then it was announced over the tannoy system that because things are running behind schedule and it was already beginning to get dark, the Pope was going to leave immediately. And everyone was 
crushed. You know, nuns looked at each other with stricken faces on the verge of tears, and my mother shriveled before my very eyes. And hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of cold, wet people looked at each other and said, feck this crap, <laughs> and left, all at the same time, in the dark. It was chaos. There was no way they could get the buses through the frustrated throng, so everyone had to walk the eight miles back to Clare Morris, down tiny country roads in the pitch dark, jostled by hundreds of thousands of other people. And my mother, you know, cold, wet, miserable, disappointed, made us kids, cold, wet, miserable, tired, cranky, and frightened, hold hands as we stumbled and bumped our way the eight miles back to the car. And it was frightening. Old people were stumbling, children were crying, treasured pope stools were tossed into dishes. And my mother, even in the dark, looked tired and disappointed. And for the first time in my life, she looked to me like a real person, you know, with all the fragilities and disappointments that that implies. The Pope's visit made me think, and I mean really think, for the very first time. It made me question what was presented to me, it made me wary of accepted truths. That day, a crack opened up between me and the world around me, a crack that over the years became a crevasse and then a gorge and then a chasm. But it is a chasm that I have come to treasure. Because the Pope's visit unhooked me from what I saw as the dead weight of religion and pushed me into the stream of my own consciousness. It gave me a mind of my own, which I subsequently led to somebody in a club one night, and I've never gotten back. <laughs>